Our scripture this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2, and it's found in the Pew Bible at page 862. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. The word of the Lord. Well, we begin a new series this morning called Walking in Faith based on 1 John. You've already walked in faith this morning or to be commended because you did not see the, the order of worship and didn't have the structure in front of you, and thank you for walking in faith uh, when it comes to that. Uh, you do have an outline there you can uh, work with if you like, or you, we will also have things up on the screen as we always have. You know, in Scripture, the, the metaphor of walking is just one of the most uh, important metaphors you find there, talking about walking with God or living for God. Now, you know, usually I preach from the New Living Translation, and Jamie asked me, which I appreciated before, do you want me to use NLT, which he did. Uh, I'm going to be actually pulling from uh, the older NIV at some places, because the NLT uses the word uh, living instead of walking, which really magnifies the significance of this uh, particular word. So we're talking about walking in faith. Um, I think of 1 John 1, 7, uh, which is in our particular passage. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, walking in faith. Now, 1 John 1 and 2 deals with some very basic things related to faith, which is why we're calling this morning's message Baby Steps. Now, John, at this point, is a wise, uh, aging man writing this toward the close of his life. He's the last living among the disciples. And so here's this wise sage of a man offering some words really about the basics of the faith, baby steps of the faith, if you will. And he calls uh, those who are receiving the letter, dear children, 12 times in these five brief chapters. So he's talking to them as children, in a sense, his children, his spiritual children, but also obviously God's children as well. Uh, when we talk about that, you take the image of walking, you take the homage, uh, image rather of, of children, you put those together and you can easily work with this idea of baby steps. Now, isn't it wonderful when a baby finally comes along and is able to walk? That's a very special moment for a parent. Uh, the child's been wobbling along, falling down a number of times, but then finally they kind of get it, get their balance, and are able to walk a bit. 
It's just a wonderful moment. Now, rather than talk about that, I thought we would exemplify that up here. Uh, so I've asked uh, Jamie and Jen Gibson to bring Evans Gibson up here. There he is. You, oh, no. You may have heard from him earlier. He was uh, making it very clear that he has a mother. And as Jamie was reading, I think he proclaimed that that is my father. So that's why we've, we've granted a whole lot of grace for him. But, but we thought we would just bring him up here. He just learned to walk rather recently, and we're just going to see if this can work. Can you do it up here? Where, folks, can you all see okay? I'm going to sit down here and kind of guard, the, guard the, the steps here. So let's see. Just take your time. No problem. Did you bring a reward? or something? Oh, there's the reward. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully he'll be highly motivated. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Yes. All right. You want to go back to that? No. He's got, he's got the passy, so all right. Thank you. Double duty. Reading scripture and now that. Thank you, Gibsons. It's wonderful just... What's that? Oh, for the soundtrack? No. That was threaded throughout that we're talking about baby steps and children. I had asked Evan to do that throughout the service, so we're in good shape now. Um, but again, 1 John 1 and 2 present us with really baby steps toward the Christian faith. That's really what it's all about. It's about sin and confession and forgiveness and Christ as advocate. And, and the basic steps have to do with agreeing with God. I love the song that, that, that Brian sang. Uh, uh, is it not How Can It Be? What is it? Yeah, that, that one. I can't but. But when, it ta- when he talked about, and even before he shared from Isaiah 44, where it talks about how we need to have this clear understanding of who God is and who we are. And, and as you see on your outline, I'm talking about these baby steps that have to do with agreeing with God. And we'll see in just a minute that that's what confession literally means, is to agree with God. And part of it is, a large part of it is agreeing with God about who we are, and we are loved. It's, it's who we are, as we sang just a moment ago, and who God is who is so wonderful and so gracious. So we'll get to that. So what are some of the basic steps, baby steps, toward the faith that 1 John deals with? Well, first of all, we need to agree with God about a beloved son. Agree with God about a beloved son. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus here, but one whom Jesus really loved like a son. You could say like a brother, but he really loved him as a spiritual son as well. And I'm talking about John. Arguably, uh, John knew Jesus more intimately than anyone else. You could make a defense for Peter, but I really do think in the long run he knew John better and confided in John more, which is why he's referred to as the beloved disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. One thing about John, though, I think people give so much airtime to Peter because he has that cool nickname of Rock, and he was obviously a real solid guy. He was a fisherman like you'd see on Deadliest Catch. I always think of Deadliest Catch. Those are the guys Jesus hung with, and and. Uh, you know, he had that nickname of Petros, rock. And sometimes John is miscast, I think, even in artwork. I don't know if the last time you saw uh, the Da Vinci uh, 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 painting of the Last Supper, and, you know, that's really Jesus' wife in there. It's just Da Vinci Code mess. But look at John, even in that painting, and he's this kind of gentle, soft figure. And a lot of times he's portrayed that way, which I don't think is right. Yeah, Peter had the name Petros, but if you put uh, John together with his brother James, uh, Jesus referred to them collectively as Boanerges. Does anybody know what that means? They were the what? Sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. 
I, I think of professional wrestling, these two guys, like they're tag team, you know. In this corner, the sons of thunder. You just picture them, these big alpha guys, right? Tough guys, temperamental guys, obviously. Um, I loved it when in Luke 9, where the Samaritan villages are not accepting Jesus and his teachings, and uh, James and John go to him and say, hey, do you mind if we call down thunder upon these people, call down the storms upon these people? And it's funny, they don't even ask Jesus to do it. It's like, we got it. <laughs> we can do it ourselves. Just, hey, is it okay with you? We're going to call down uh, the wrath of God upon these people. Well, uh, Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, he's also very prideful. Later on, soon after Jesus has been talking about his imminent suffering and death, James and John come up to him and say, hey, we want you to do something for us. Oh, really? What? We want to you know, stand on either side of you when you get your throne. We, we want to sit and stand beside you on either side, left and right, when you get your kingdom going, because you, you need help, and we're the ones to help you, Okay. Very prideful, very alpha is what I picture him as. And obviously stumbling and falling on his face with his own baby steps, just as Peter did. But no doubt, nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus still loved this guy. He was one of the three who went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. And much more meaningfully, he's the one standing there at the cross, the one disciple standing at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, Watching him die. And you remember it's Jesus who looks down at John and says, take care of her. Take care of my mother. So this guy was an intimate friend of Jesus. And we need to agree with what he says about Jesus. Jesus loved him like a brother, brother in a sense loved him as his child. So that's our first baby step is to agree with what he says, what he testifies in his witness about Jesus. Which if you go back to First uh, John 1, 1, he, he really talks about that. Now, uh, let's go ahead and put that up there, Stephen. But I want you to know that I have changed. Uh, John very graciously had put this in, in uh, third person singular, saying us and we, because he was really talking about himself and uh, what scholars call the Johannine community, his, his apostolic associates who were there with him ministering. And he would say, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen, but I've changed it to first person just so you can get a sense of just how intimately John knew Jesus and experienced Jesus on earth. So let me just read this. That which was from the beginning, which I have heard, which I have seen with my eyes, which I have looked at, and my hands have touched, this I proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, I have seen it and testified to it, and I proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to me. And what does he want to declare? I proclaim to you what I have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with me as a fellow Christian. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I write this to make our joy collectively complete. So we need to agree with God in terms of understanding this wonderful beloved son of his who was like a brother, in a sense, to Jesus and trust the message that follows now that he offers to us. So first step is agreeing with God about John and John's message. But secondly, what we need to do is agree with God about yourself. That's another good baby step to take. Now John begins, he kind of launches into a piece where he is really addressing a group known as the Docetics. I don't know if you've heard of the Docetics, but that's who he's dealing with in chapter 1 of 1 John. The Docetics were a Gnostic group back then. You've probably heard of the Gnostics before. The Docetics particularly did not believe that Jesus was human. 
They denied Jesus coming in the flesh. In fact, docetos in the Greek means disguised. They said he, he really was a total spiritual being, just a divine being. He was not human at all. He was disguised as a human. And they said that because it fit more their Gnostic theology, which was more up here and not in this world, and they had this otherworldly kind of mindset about a lot of things. In fact, John is so upset with that poor theology. You know, in John's mind, you know, saying that Jesus didn't come to us in the flesh and being fully human as well as fully divine, that really discounts the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross, the atoning work on the cross. And so John is very upset about it, so upset that he calls the people who are uh, professing this docetic theology, do you know what he calls them? Both in 1 John and in 2 John, he calls them antichrists. Those who believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh are the antichrists. He says that more than once. Again, because the incarnation dying for us is the basis of atonement for our sin. So again, another thing the docetics did was draw a distinction between the body and the soul. And we could talk about this a lot, but bottom line, let me just say this. They basically didn't believe in the reality of sin. They believe that whatever I do with my body doesn't really impact me spiritually because my essential self, my true self, is my spirit, my soul. And so whatever I do with my body, with my actions, with my thoughts, with anything else, that doesn't affect me spiritually. So really, there really is not such a thing as sin, which is why John, right out of the chute, you go to verse 8, John 1, 8, what does it say? He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he's going after them. You know, if I say that I have no sin, I am not agreeing with God's assessment of me that I am a broken sinner in need of his grace and his love. Now, I've been talking about the docetics of the first century. Obviously, this doesn't have any impact on us at all, right? No application here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, we have a lot of people, even in our own society, our own culture, who what I would say are religious or spiritual, but they fail to acknowledge the reality of sin, this gap between ourselves and God and our own personal sinfulness. They fail to see it or they refuse to see it. Now, could we really be that deluded? Oh, I'm spiritual, you know, and this sin thing, I just don't think in those terms, or I don't accept that, I, I, don't, I just don't think about that very much. Are we that deluded? Well, you know what, we're pretty deluded about incompetence. It's interesting, did you know that most incompetent people don't know that they are incompetent? Y'all ever run into that? I get the most amens from that. Okay, well that's, yeah, it's true. Uh, Dr. David Dunning of Cornell University, he and his associates in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that very thing, and they also said people who are incompetent are more confident of their abilities than competent people are. They also found the skills required for true competence are the same skills necessary to recognize that ability. Now, let me just read this quote, because then I'm going to move from incompetence to sin. Now, this is, this is actually from that study in that psychology journal. He says, not only do incompetent people reach erroneous conclusions and make unfortunate choices, but their incompetence robs them of the ability to realize it. Well, let's tweak that kind of delusion towards sin. Let's read it a different way, and I just kind of shifted it a little bit. Not only do some sinners reach erroneous conclusions and make unfortunate choices, but their sinfulness robs them of the ability to see it. I think that's a very fair statement. You know, but obviously that never 
applies to you and me, right? Because we've arrived, right? Uh, But that's the way people, including ourselves, can be, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. You know, sin not only separates us from God, it can kind of blind us to our predicament. Applies to believer and unbeliever alike. So you don't just apply this to the docetics. We can act like them when we ignore our own sin, deny it, compartmentalize it, not deal with it. We're in that as well. Believers still sin. I know you know that, but again, as theologians will say, to be sanctified is not to be glorified. We might be becoming good disciples of Jesus, but we ain't perfect yet. You know, we're not going to be in our most perfective form until we leave this current reality and, and enter eternity. So that's the second vital baby step, seeing yourself as a sinner in need of God's grace, agreeing with God about ourselves. But thirdly, we need to agree with God about God. And we talked about that, how forgiving he is, he, how wonderful he is. It's who he is. We sang that. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Uh, let's look at 1 John 1, 9, and 10. Two important truths here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Two important things that these two passages say about God. First of all, he wants to forgive us. He is grace incarnate. He's a forgiving God. All we need to do is confess our sin. And what does it mean to confess? And I want us to look at this because this is why I'm using the word agree a good bit. Confess literally in, well, in the Latin is confitere, which means to agree with or to declare with. You see the con which means with, as you know, and then fateri means to declare or to agree with. So to confess your sin is to agree with God about yourself and also to agree with God about who God is. Someone earlier in worship said, you know, we need to remember that God is God and we are not. That's what we're talking about. Yes, we need to agree with God on that. Sometimes, though, through our actions and sometimes our attitudes, we fail to embrace that reality. And to confess our sin to God, obviously, is to, is to agree with what God already knows about us, right? <laughs> We're just agreeing with him saying, I know, you know, and he's, he's up there saying, I know, just waiting for you, yes. And we're told to agree, fortunately, with the one who loves us most fully, offers us grace like no one else can. Let me ask you this, what if people had a list of your worst sins, and I mean the ones you really, that, that bubble to the surface right now and, and you so regret what you said, did, whatever, thought. And, and, and if people really knew about it, like if it was exposed, to, if, it was, if it was exposed to the rest of us here, it was, if it was exposed, let's say, on YouTube, you know, what would that be like? What would that be like? What if people knew your worst sins, you know, this terrible PR disaster for you. Well, speaking of PR disasters, you remember last month with United Airlines? The week after this thing occurred, this was on the cover of Bloomberg uh, magazine, Bloomberg Journal, uh, Bloomberg.com. Do you remember what happened? There was a guy that was on the plane they had overbooked. Remember what happened? And they went over, and, and it, it got pretty intense. It was a flight from Chicago to Louisville, and, and a passenger was forcibly taken from this overbooked flight, and he screamed and was grabbing at stuff. His shirt came up. I think his glasses either broke or something, but I think he got even a little bit bloody and stuff. But this officer had grabbed him and was dragging him down the aisle, and outrage ensued. 
People were upset with United Airlines, and it really was a PR nightmare. And I remember somebody sending to me some Twitter. I don't have a Twitter account because I'm too old. But, uh, uh, but somebody sent me th- this Twitter list, and it was these new mottos that people were suggesting for United Airlines after that occurred. And I just thought I'd share some of them with you. First of all, you carry on, we carry off. That could be a good one. What would you like? Or would you like a neck pillow or a neck brace? I like that one. Okay, go ahead. We overbook, but you pay the price. We have red eye and black eye flights available. Very good. Okay, next one. <laughs> we put the hospital in hospitality. This might be my favorite one. Okay, and finally, you can run, but you can't fly. There you go. Love that. Now, again, let's say your worst sins were recorded and exposed and made as viral as what happened on that flight. Let's say there was even footage of these things that you said or did or thought. You know, what embarrassing mottos would be imposed upon your PR nightmare. But thankfully, thanks be to God, let me go back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All we need to do is agree with God what he already knows, that we are sinners in need of grace. Yeah, that's a little baby step. I know you know this, but are you embracing that for yourself, and have you done that lately, even as a discipline? But there's a second thing we need to agree with God about based really on verse 10. God is not a liar. Let's go to verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out, this is making God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, if for some deluded reason you think you are not a sinner, you're disagreeing with God about his assessment about you. (laughs) You're disagreeing with God about the truthfulness of his perception of you. Can we really be that prideful sometimes? I think we are sometimes, but, but we're denying that we're being prideful about it so we can keep it at arm's length, keep it compartmentalized. But then there's that very stark passage. Remember Galatians 6, 7? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. (laughs) Don't make a liar out of him. A man reaps what he sows. Don't even think you can deny the reality of the sin in your life that you need to deal with. It's amazing how some people will delude themselves into denying how the evil one uses them. I know we don't want to talk about Satan all the time, the evil one it's not very sophisticated, and yet it's much more naive to deny the reality of the evil one than it is to affirm the evil one. I read about a pastor who had been preaching on the reality of Satan and how Satan can lead us into sin, and there was a guy in the service, and he was kind of this smug, sophisticated, kind of lukewarm guy as far as his faith went, and he kind of waited around until the pastor was locking up And he walked out on the sidewalk side by side with the pastor and said, you know, we talk too much about sin, and I don't buy into this devil thing, really. I mean, you know, as long as I'm good, you know, I think this this devil isn't going to affect me. It's like he's not even there. To which the pastor, just continuing to look forward as they walked, said, yeah, two people walking down the same road going in the same direction seldom bump into each other. It's well put. So don't fall prey to disagreeing with God about God, but most significantly and fourthly, agree with God about the beloved Son, and here I am talking about 
Jesus. Let's look at 1 John 2, 1 and 2, two wonderful verses. My dear children, here he is calling them my dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look at the language there. We have an advocate. Do you remember early on with our emphasis on the Holy Spirit this year, we talked about the Holy Spirit as our advocate, and yet here it's used for Jesus. Let's go back to a passage I preached on when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, this is Jesus in his farewell address to the disciples, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, right? To help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth, saying it is this Holy Spirit. Now, that's interesting because, again, we've talked about the advocate we have and the advocacy we have through the Holy Spirit. But it says, notice, another advocate. I'm going to send you another advocate. Alon Paracleton, another advocate. Well, that means there was a primary advocate, a first advocate. Who was it? It was Jesus himself. And I think it's so cool that John uses that now, having heard this and written about it, recorded it in the Gospel of John, he uses this again, saying, I remember Jesus said he's going to send us this other advocate, but he was the original one. He was our first advocate. And again, I love this little uh, phrase here, uh, to help you and be with you forever. Proston, he will proston you forever. That literally means face-to-face. He will be face-to-face with you. And I think that's so cool. What it's saying is he will be face-to-face with us whenever we need him, whenever we call on him. He will be with us face-to-face and sympathize with us in all of our difficulty, our trials, our sins, whatever it might be. But he will also be, and Jesus is making this promise, he will be face-to-face with God the Father when we leave this world, this reality, and Jesus stands not just face-to-face with us, but then he stands face-to-face with the Heavenly Father to plead on our behalf successfully, still batting a thousand on that, in order that we might become a part of eternity. Face-to-face. Standing up for us. Okay, I'm almost done. Here are my two concerns, though. I'm afraid that you might either take this message either too lightly or too heavily. What do I mean by that? Well, some of you might say, I know these baby steps. You know, I knew them not long after I walked my first physical baby steps. I've been in church all my life. I know these basics about sin and confession and forgiveness and the like. I'm beyond that now. I've arrived. You know, I don't need to review them daily as a discipline. Well, let me put it this way. (laughs) When a child does baby steps and falls, can you imagine a parent saying, oh, it's okay, just stay down on the floor. Just stay down there. No need to get back up. You know what it takes to walk, but that's not important to me. I just wanted you to know, you know, what what it takes to walk, but you just stay there on the ground. No need to get back up. No need to improve on this. You know, God's telling you for your own good, get back up. And walk. You know, don't lounge on the floor in cheap grace, okay? Practice it as a daily discipline. That's why it's so basic. That's why it's so so much of a baby step. It's what we need to be doing each and every day, going back to those basic fundamentals. Or we might take this all too heavily. You might say, I know these things, but there's no way God could ever forgive me for fill in the blank. I am unworthy, 
I'm just now beyond the reach of his grace. And I know people on a regular basis who struggle with that. Well, let's say you're a parent again and your child takes some baby steps and then falls. Can you imagine a good parent saying, well, too bad, you're done, no way you can get back up. Or if you get back up, it doesn't make any difference, you're worthless. No, a good parent's going to say, okay, let's get back up and try that again. Here, let me help you and let's walk together. Okay, now let's keep on going. Maybe you need to know that that is what God is inviting you to do today. If you've been really, in a sense, stewing, uh, find yourself just entrenched in this sin that's either hard to let go of or that you've been beating yourself over the head about, get rid of that. Step back up. Let God help you up, and let's keep walking forward with him. I'm going to close with a quote from Chuck Swindoll. He said, Stumblers who, when they fall, stay down are a dime a dozen. In fact, they're useless. But stumblers who, when they fall down, get back up. They are rare as rubies. Stumblers who fall when they fall down get back up. They are rare as rubies. In fact, they are priceless. I'll correct Swindoll on one thing there. Even when you stumble, even when you fall, no matter how far you fall, you are still priceless to God. All the more reason to get back up and live for him walk for him. Will you do that? In just a moment, we're going to be walking forward to receive the Lord's Supper. And, and we're going to do it the way we've done it so often in the second service where, and, and if you're a little bit confused, uh, just watch somebody else. And if you don't know what to do and you're just kind of sitting there not knowing what to do, ask somebody to come up and get the elements for you. Uh, what we always do is people who are closer to the front here exit out toward the wall, come receive uh, the bread and the cup, and then go back to their seat, and then take some time to pray. We don't do this all in a uniform way. You go back, you meditate upon what uh, you've been hearing, what you've been sensing the Spirit saying to you this hour, and then you receive the elements when you feel so led. The middle section, if you will come around this way, go back to where you sit. And, and when you feel led after a prayerful moment, receive the elements. Same you guys over here will exit out to the wall, come forward, and then go back. And again, if anybody needs someone to get uh, the elements for them, we'll take care of that. I always uh, sometimes work with the uh, musicians toward the end and make sure they get, they get fed. So, so don't, don't worry if you haven't done it this way before. Uh, it, will be, it will be just fine. But again, it's our opportunity in a sense to stand and walk our own steps uh, once again, confessing our belief in who God is and who we are, it's our opportunity to walk with him all the more, having received this amazing meal. So if you would, pray with me. Lord, as we enter into this time, even as we are physically experiencing the sensation of walking, the movement of our legs moving forward to receive the bread, to receive the cup, and as we walk back with them to where we will sit and pray and then receive them. May this be a time for us to commit once again to walking with you more closely, to truly being the children you want us to be. May it be a time where we commit to not taking these basics of the faith too lightly. May it be a time where we can confess to you that we haven't been living by them as we should. We're either too ashamed or feel a little too sophisticated for it. We've been indifferent. We've been rebellious. We have felt guilty. We have felt defeated. But Lord, this is our moment to be reminded that because of your son's brokenness 
and death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, we're made whole. And we have every reason to get back up and continue to walk. So may we walk together in that spirit as we receive the bread and the drink now. We pray these things in your name. Amen.